हेलो एवरीवन एंड वेलकम टू अवंतिका डिजाइनरिंग सीरीज और एडीएस एस वी लाइक टू कॉल इट एवरी वीक ऑन वेडनेसडे वी फीचर डिजाइन एंड टेक्नोलॉजी लीडर्स हु शेयर द प्रोफेशनल जर्नी दर थॉट्स ऑन द डोमेन ऑफ वर्क एंड डिजाइनरिंग वेयर द वर्ल्ड ऑफ डिजाइन एंड इंजीनियरिंग मीट मेक श्योर यू फॉलोअर्स ऑन सोशल मीडिया इंस्टाग्राम लिंकड इन फेसबुक एंड ट्विटर एंड विद दैट लेट्स कंटिन्यू विद योर शो the speed at which technology is forcing change it is now impossible to be an efficient designer without having a learning mindset individuals with a learning mindset are more likely to be creative humble and open minded all necessary ingredients for creativity and innovation they believe that creativity is not a genetically present trait it is something that can be cultivated through practice and collaboration with other people this belief drives them to constantly experiment with new approaches and ways of thinking rather than getting fixated on the right answer and that's why in this episode we interact with deepak menon partner director at microsoft he has led product experience across all products at microsoft india research and development it includes all of office on android visio visual studio bing.com and many more with over two decades of professional experience and that's why on our journey of discovering designering we talked to him about the windows of design Hello Deepak and welcome to Avantika Designering Podcast Series. It's an honor and pleasure to host you on our show today. Absolutely. The pleasure is uh, simply reciprocated over here. So Deepak, let's start with an icebreaker question. You and your team have helped define the inquiry around what is productivity for billions of mobile only users, which has led to a few product innovations as well. The question that I have is how do you manage to stay productive what's your mantra to get great performance at work first of all uh, rohit uh, thanks for inviting me um so i think staying productive means different things to different folks um it's based on passion interests ambitions specifically for me uh, to be productive in my professional career it has meant uh, that i have to be centered um over time uh, i felt it has meant working hard working smart but most of all working together better with the folks that i closely work with those are the vectors that have enabled me to um, understand what has actually worked for me these are also the vectors that enable me to build the tools uh, that i feel uh, helps individuals and organizations achieve more um and i believe that's uh, a great performance or my mantra for great performance at work wow interesting and well said The other thing that I want to know is you started your journey with bachelor of architecture then to design and now to leader at one of the biggest technology companies in the world can you take us through your journey from education to here did you plan all of this seamlessly was it accidental how how did it all happen i would like to say uh 
I'm actually incredibly grateful. Uh, I've been lucky to have opportunities that I believe um, uh, that few would have probably had. But uh, let me start. I mean, ever since I was a small boy, I've always wanted to be an architect, uh, primarily because um, my mother's brother was an architect. And I, he, I always used to see him, you know, appreciate good to great design. Um, and I think that uh, interest continued and I did my bachelor's in architecture. Uh, I was enamored by it, how it could influence our users. And then went on to do a master's in architecture at, uh, in the U.S., during that time, this was uh, late 90s, uh, during that time, uh, uh, I'm not sure how many people actually even remember this, but cathode ray monitors were at the center of every office space design. Uh, they made spaces so impersonal. Uh, they, they were a barrier between two folks even sitting across the table. And so I actually did a master's in uh, fine arts uh, with a specialization in design. And the thesis there was a cloud-based operating system, which allowed users to go to any desk and sit and have conversations and still be, you know, productive. Uh, and this was primarily driven from, you know, how office space would change. And that's how I landed at Microsoft. Um, uh, and I, I, I had incredible opportunities to work on key areas uh, within Microsoft. So one of the key highlights uh, uh, during my first stint, uh, incidentally, I've had three stints at Microsoft. This will be my third stint. Uh, my first stint, one of the key highlights was to work on Microsoft Office on the desktop. Uh, this was uh, the early 2000s. Uh, and um, Office was defined by uh, toolbars and menus. Uh, and my, one of my first jobs was to redefine uh, the commanding model. Uh, and we went on to define the ribbon interface, a huge departure from what it was before. Um, I won a lot of accolades. Uh, I would like to say that a lot of um, uh, Microsoft desktop products are still based on that. Uh, you've seen it in Autodesk as well. In 2005, uh, when Google opened its office in Seattle, I joined the office there uh, at Google to be the first designer uh, in Seattle. I worked on Google Talk uh, when uh, on, uh, when on the desktop, um, there were a significant number of uh, messaging products like MSN Messenger, Yahoo Messenger. Um, and, you know, therein, uh, I first understood what it meant actually being, uh, you know, working well together. We uh, rode off the velocity that uh, Gmail had. And um, within a span of a year and a half, we were amongst uh, the uh, highest DAO or daily active users um, on Google Talk. But uh, I think what was significant during my period at Google um, was it brought me back to India to work on uh, Google Maps. Uh, at that point in 2006, uh, there was little to no economic incentive to work on maps outside of the US and Western Europe. Uh, so uh, geographies like uh, India, most of uh, uh, emerging markets did not have any uh, maps, uh, as you see now. Um, so what we did uh, at that point in time was take satellite imagery uh, and provided user-generated tools to trace uh, points of interest, roads, um, and all mapping objects uh, that would allow uh, maps and geographies outside of the U.S. and Western Europe to be traced or built, if you will. Uh, and by happenstance uh, and tragic circumstances, uh, in 2007, there was a huge tsunami. I'm not sure if people remember. Um, and one of the key things uh, that when any disaster strikes is 
rescue supplies or provision of rescue supplies. Uh, this happened in Malaysia uh, and parts of India as well and uh, Thailand. And overnight, um, those uh, regions got mapped. Uh, and that was uh, so significant, just provided uh, the ability for rescue supplies to be reached uh, within 48 hours to most of those regions. Uh, that has now become the basis of uh, Google Maps. And I think that has been a defining moment for me specifically because uh, behaviors and products now built uh, in geographies uh, like ours uh, go on to define, I mean, products and experiences uh, for people all over the world. Uh, so, I mean, if you look at uh, most of maps nowadays, it's built by, you know, uh, tools that automatically draw or trace your uh, movements on your phones. Um, in 2008, I rejoined Microsoft to start building um, the design team uh, here in India uh, in the development center. Um, it was an exciting time. I got about, uh, you know, the team, a small team built. We had a bunch of infrastructure built as well. Uh, I left uh, Microsoft in 2010 when e-commerce was at its, uh, what you call infancy, if you will. Um, I joined Mintra as the chief product officer, uh, and it was still a B2B uh, company, which uh, sold you know, customized products uh, to businesses, uh, T-shirts and mugs and the sort. Uh, within a few months, we raised a significant amount of funding and we pivoted to be a fashion e-commerce company. And that uh, uh, time uh, taught me a lot about actually being very, very, very close to users. Um, I remember growing uh, uh, the number of orders from zero um, to over 10,000 orders a day. It was an incredible ride. Uh, it taught me a lot about fundraising, a lot about what um, entrepreneurial journeys are about. Um, and it was uh, some of my best lessons uh, and my best friendships uh, ever made as well. Around that point, uh, uh, Microsoft hired me back uh, to relead the, the studio. And it looks like third time is a charm. Uh, uh, it's been eight years um, uh, here. Uh, and I would like to say that I've probably got uh, amongst the best jobs in the world. Um, I can see across uh, a range of different technology areas, right from operating systems, uh, to browsers, uh, to consumer products, to storage, you name it, I probably have a bird's eye view of what's happening. Um, and I like to say that I'm incredibly grateful for all the opportunities and the journey I've had so far. Um, so, so yeah, that's uh, uh, how I have come to be what I am uh, right now. Well, that's really interesting. And and I think what, what's exciting is, you know, three times at Microsoft and, and how uh, this entire thing has been. In fact, I have two questions from your journey. My first question, um, you know, from, from your journeys, how did all of these years work out? Did you have to learn, unlearn, relearn things in the process? And, and if yes, what were those? I think uh, to be relevant, uh, I've had to learn and unlearn, I think, multiple times uh, uh, and then relearn uh, probably exactly the same thing over and over again. Over time, I would like to say that uh, I have changed my mindset, the agility. Uh, tooling is, I think, uh, one of the uh, um, most on-the-ground things. I mean, if you look at when I started, uh, there were things like uh, Macromedia Director to now what's Protopi. Uh, things have changed um, 
quite a bit uh, in the way that people work. I'd like to take an example that's very close to heart. If I, lay, if I take uh, productivity, uh, when I started my career, I worked on office. I worked uh, on office on the desktop. Um, the way information workers uh, work uh, and what productivity means for them has changed. Uh, if, we had to look back to, if I had to look back 20 years, it meant um, being focused, being at the desktop and creating something from scratch. And if I, um, you know, look at what we are designing right now, which is office and mobile, uh, it's extremely uh, tailored towards uh, getting a job done in, uh, in 10 to 15 seconds. Um, uh, so the dichotomy of, you know, spending focus time to triaging uh, uh, and being able to design that has meant for me to uh, um, unlearn what I was used to and relearn and learn uh, what uh, needs to be done for our end users and satisfy them and their user needs. So uh, with the space of you know, change and growth, uh, what I've learned is hubris no longer works. One has to come into this with a learning mindset. Um, so uh, that's what I would like to say that I've uh, come away with in these few years. Interesting. And the second question that I had from your journey is that while researching about you and your profile, we see that you've been mentoring entrepreneurs for a long time. The question that I have is, why didn't you take the entrepreneurial plunge? And also, how does mentoring add value to your journey? <laughs> Interesting question. So uh, I like to uh, pose as this. Um, I probably got, uh, where, in, where else in this world uh, one can see the vast breadth of technology affecting users' lives. Uh, I'm lucky to say that, you know, uh, Microsoft gives me that opportunity uh, leading the studio here. Um, but at the same time, I invest in mentor entrepreneurs that help me stay relevant. Um, I learn what is relevant because uh, entrepreneurs have to be dreamers, uh, but they also have to be very, very, very close to our users to understand what are the gaps between what the user needs are and what the current environment actually provides and what can be built. Um, so it, entrepreneurials or entrepreneurs, um, they tread the fine line of um, usefulness, um, feasibility and desirability. Um, they have to tread that journey to kind of provide value to the end consumers and users. And um, you know, being uh, in this uh, uh, dual, uh, what do you call, how do I put it? I'm not getting the word for it, but, uh, and you may have to edit this piece out. Um, it allows me to live the life of uh, being at the cutting edge of technology across various spheres, uh, as well as understanding what uh, end consumers across various different uh, domains actually need. Um, so that's the value, I believe, uh, you know, mentoring and you know, just working with entrepreneurs provides me. Hey, did you know each year Microsoft Research sponsors a semester long class at leading design schools? Students are asked to form interdisciplinary teams of two or four students to design a user experience prototype that solves a real-world problem. It is called Design Expo, which began as a partnership between Microsoft and Apple 
to integrate technology into curriculum of design schools worldwide. The goal is to build a long-term relationship with design schools and build community across schools. The other question that I have is, you know, you moved out of Microsoft, you, you joined Google, you came in second time, um, then you moved out uh, to work with Mintra and Chibang, and then you came back for the third time. The question that I have is usually individuals uh, do not get back to those organizations again. If they do it, they do it for two times. You, you, you've gone through that cycle three times. How's that entire thing been different for you? Three times coming back to Microsoft each time. Did you see a new Microsoft uh, that you were working with? So I would like to say yes. Uh... If I had to kind of say the three uh, eras of Microsoft uh, uh, were completely different. I think the first time around, uh, it was a very uh, desktop dominant Microsoft. Uh, and that's why I worked on Office on the desktop. It provided me um, the opportunity to work on desktop uh, when desktop was uh, uh, at its fore, if you will, early 2000s. Um, during the second tenure at uh, Microsoft, it was about building a team from scratch, uh, ensuring that uh, uh, in an organization uh, wherein design was not yet in uh, India specifically uh, mature, uh, trying to kind of build that and galvanize uh, the organization to understand the need for a different discipline uh, to exist because it makes uh, everybody better was a huge learning. The third time around is primarily about uh, looking at uh, both people, product and pro or actually all three. It's about looking at people, product and process um, and how all three of them uh, uh, can be uniquely, uh, you know, uh, accumulated together uh, to kind of provide value for uh, end users as well as organizations uh, to move forward. I would like to say uh, during this specific uh, uh, journey of mine, which has been my longest journey at Microsoft, it has given both different challenges as well as opportunities uh, across all three spheres, uh, building a, a vast and huge team across multiple disciplines, um, you know, building various kind of products uh, that kind of um, are at the forefront of what uh, we are doing at Microsoft. And as well as processes that uh, help, you know, uh, product making uh, get better. So I think each time, I think the challenges have been uh, uh, quite different, uh, but uh, very invigorating, if you will. Interesting. And uh, what's exciting to know is Every time that you, um, you know, worked with Microsoft, there was a new experience and a new challenge that you had to solve. And you also mentioned design. And, and my next question is around that, that every industry will have a different problem set, but a great designer should have a core philosophy they bring to the table to tackle an array of problems. The question that I have for you, Deepak, is what's your design philosophy? <laughs> that's a deep question that we can have a discussion uh, you know forever I'm, I'm, I'm sure we could have an entire podcast around that question <laughs> yeah. 
So, uh, and to succinctly put it, uh, I think being one with the user, uh, that's so important. Uh, understanding uh, user motivations, their needs, wants, and desires is so central. Um, I've seen hubris, I've seen intellectualization, and I've seen conflation of all of them. Uh, the motivation, needs, wants, and desires uh, lead to many uh, design uh, solutions, uh, most of them my own, uh, to fall flat. Uh, I think being one uh, with the user is so central and being able to understand the nuances and differences between motivations, needs, wants, and desires uh, help create solutions for our users uh, uh, that uh, actually matter. And I think that's uh, primarily uh, the design philosophy. And I, we can go in, de in depth into each one of them, the motivations, their needs, wants, and desires. But I believe the differences and nuances are so central uh, because for each kind of product, um, I think the solution is to understand or tap uh, different varieties of what um, user motivations could be. Interesting. Um, and, you know, while you spoke about your philosophy of design and you touched upon the customer angle of it, I wanted to move the conversation towards your team as well. And if you talk about today's teams, they're different from teams of the past. They are far more diverse, dispersed, digital, and dynamic uh, with frequent changes in, in, in these membership. But while teams face new hurdles, their success still hinges on a core set of fundamental for group collaboration. The question that I have is, what are the secrets of great teamwork and how do you manage it at Microsoft other than the online tools that you've been using? Yeah, online tabling has become so important, hasn't it? Uh, so uh, Teams is a major, major one. Uh, I think it's allowed for us to uh, continue working over the you know the last eight nine months. Um, so, um, but if I had to go back uh, in terms of what's the philosophy of an organization that works well or a team that works well, I think fundamentally for us to understand um, that we all see further by standing on the shoulders uh, of giants, if you will. Uh, that means being better together and building great relationships is so core to the way that teams work. Um, so as a designer and in today's world, it is uh, so important uh, that each one of us truly emb embrace that notion uh, of working better together. Uh, so personally, uh, I found that caring and warmth, uh, uh, as well as building camaraderie uh, to have those bonds that allow teams uh, to leverage each other more effectively uh, is so significant. This just allows uh, people to work better together as well as help uh, people to leverage each other's strengths. Um, and I think that's so fundamental in the way that teams uh, work better together, not just designers. Uh, designers ultimately have to work with researchers, developers, engineers, and product managers. Um, so the ability to kind of work across disciplines uh, with each other is so significant to make uh, better products uh, that matters. I mean, uh, there's no doubt about it. And uh, we've seen multiple examples of you know great products out there. And one of them that I want to touch upon is Microsoft Studio uh, Plus 9.1. And could you tell us more about it and the interesting products that the design studio uh, at Microsoft works on? 
Yeah, so so we call our studio Studio Ninety One. Um, it's been a journey that's uh, been over a decade in the making. Uh, I'm so proud of each and every designer, researcher, and leader that's that's currently here in our studio or has been an alumnus uh, that has helped to build this studio uh, brick by brick. So uh, if, if I had to kind of uh, articulate uh, what we work on, we work across most of the products that uh, Microsoft works on uh, that you would know of. Uh, we work across Windows, Edge, Search, Office, OneDrive, SharePoint, Teams, um, Cortana, Bing, uh, you name it, Outlook. Uh, we've worked on um, almost all of them or we work on almost all of them. Um, so we're working on uh, right now far too many pro product areas uh, that I can just call out individually, on, you know, uh, and I'm sure I missed out a ton. And it's no, uh, uh, not to say that they're not uh, doing great work. All of them are. Um, but suffice it to say that we're working on areas that count uh, for billions of users uh, across the world, across all aspects of their life. Um, it's not a niche area. Uh, so... Um, and that's why um, I am so grateful to work with the people I'm working with uh, on the products that we're working on. So, uh, and we're working across um, uh, uh, platforms, we're working across endpoints, uh, we're working across apps. Um, so yeah, so it's it's been an exciting journey and I think uh, it's one that I'm so incredibly grateful to have. So, and now moving from your journey and uh, designing at Microsoft to actually capturing some of your thoughts about the world of design. And my first question there is the design strategy is the term used to describe the nexus between corporate strategy and design thinking. In fact, it requires a methodology, a framework, a roadmap, and a way of thinking. The question that I have for you is how can designers develop a strategic thinking mindset? So th this is uh, debatable, but uh, let me kind of put something out there for us to all react to. Uh, so we are in an era where, uh, in most instances, the experience is the product. It is the product. Uh, so for us, uh, as designers and researchers, it is incredibly great. Uh, it's an incredibly great point of in time uh, for us to be. Um, so for us as uh, designers and researchers, it is uh, incredibly important to understand the tension uh, that exists between the economics of how products can be designed, built, and sustained, uh, as well as the problems that they actually help solve. Um, it is a, an incredibly important ability um, uh, for us to craft products that matter for our users. Um, and I think that... Uh, Understanding that tension is incredibly important for us to develop that strategic uh, thinking mindset uh, because it helps us uh, understand what are the gives and takes that one needs to have while developing the solutions uh, that need to be built. So yeah, I hope that helps. Interesting. And my next question is that as a UX professional looking deeply into how our minds, emotions, needs and behaviors coexist it, it can help to translate human insights into design and strategies people genuinely need and want. My question is, how do we forge a new relationship between the product and people and make products and services more human? 
So, uh, I mean, as we build products, I think a key part of uh, it all is that humanity is so diverse. Uh, and I think our products need to be inclusive of it all. Uh, and I think that's fundamentally where my belief is that behaviors that are born right here uh, in places like India, China, Indonesia, Africa will become mainstream very quickly. Um, so inclusive design is, uh, you know, uh, for those who want to make great products for the highest number of people. I think uh, it enables and draws on the full range of uh, human diversity. Uh, I, I think um, the belief uh, that I have is that exclusion happens when we solve problems using our own biases. Uh, so we should seek out those exclusion and use them as opportunities to create new ideas and inclusive design. And designing inclusively doesn't mean that you're making one thing for all people. Uh, you're designing a diversity of uh, ways for everyone to participate in an experience with a sense of, you know, belonging. And I think that's, I think that's, uh, you know, uh, that way of design, uh, of designing inclusively is what will make our products and services human. And I think that's the basis of how, uh, at least I would like to kind of think of, you know, how do we design. Hey, this is a quirky one. Did you know Microsoft has 35 cafeterias serving around 37,000 people each day? The best part, pizzas top the list of most popular meal at Microsoft. Apart from the food, Microsoft is one of the largest corporate collectors of artwork with 5,000 contemporary pieces, including painting, sculpture, works on paper, photographs, and the list goes on. Microsoft gathers art from local artists and upcoming artists and big names across the world. Oh, that's, a, that's a very interesting uh, thought process. In fact, uh, you've been able to uh, take this offline uh, phenomena to, to, you know, even thinking about it online in terms of how do we make our products more inclusive? In fact, here is a question based on the, the same thing that the increasing pace of technological change is obvious and much sought after and expensive electronic gadgets are out uh, of date within months of purchase and obsolete a few years later. In fact, it has caused shortening of the product lifecycle combined with an increasing in emphasis on innovation. The question that I have is, how are you keeping up pace with such change at your work and otherwise? Yeah, the half-life is just, uh, uh, you know, halving, if you will. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, I think it becomes easier uh, uh, over time. I, as, as at least for me, I have learned to develop a learning mindset, if you will. Uh, it's easier to become irrelevant uh, if, you have hubris and you believe that things are not going to change. So, so yeah, so becoming irrelevant is what comes with uh, technological change. Um, so embracing that learning mindset and just exposing uh, myself to as many new environments as possible uh, is possibly the best way to keep up with the pace of change across uh, multiple uh, domains. Uh, and that's one of the key reasons, I think, being... Uh, able to have this bird's eye view across uh, different areas, uh, as well as, you know, uh, learning uh, from entrepreneurs uh, helped me uh, to kind of uh, 
be close to what matters and being relevant. Um, it kind of helps me in terms of uh, what's changing on the technology side, but also uh, how are user expectations uh, changing uh, across um, their various notions of uh, wants, needs, and desires uh, as well. So, yeah. Interesting. I, I, I love the emphasis on wants, needs, a desire. I think um, basic fundamental principles, but uh, these words are so loosely used um, in, uh, in, in, in our daily conversations. And if people were to understand its impact, uh, I, I think a lot of questions in the world of business, marketing, design gets addressed out there. <laughs> I like to say that a lot of us are very, very smart people. A lot of us. Uh, there is usually a tendency for most of us to intellectualize problems. They believe, or we believe, and I've been uh, a victim to it as well. We believe that we know what's best by intellectualizing it, uh, which means that it's very easy to move away from um, what the user needs, wants, and desires are, and kind of concoct it based on our own bias. Um, and that's, I think, why it's so imperative to kind of make sure that the customer is at the center, or the user is at the center, and then understand what they uh, need, want, and desire. Otherwise, it usually comes to, it's what I want, I need, and I desire. Uh, and they are two separate things. The user is not us. And especially when you are doing uh, for a vast set of users that's mainstream, uh, the user is not, more often than not us. I like to say that, you know, as, uh, as designers and researchers, we are probably very, very privileged. We are probably the, you know, um, the set of people in the top uh, percentile of the world. Uh, and therefore, if you're doing mainstream, you should actually look at the, uh, the 100 minus X percentile of the world uh, to understand what actually user needs, wants, and desires are. Um, uh, completely applicable, completely true. And um, if we were to understand these basics crystal clear, I think a lot of challenges in, in business and, uh, you know, understanding human-centered design and and and, and our customers get um, addressed automatically. In fact, moving from there to uh, changing another gear towards the world of technology. In fact, design thinking has been adopted widely by tech industry. Its approach can be applied by any organization that want to adopt a way to solve problems empathetically and collaboratively. The question that I have is how can techies De deepen their understanding of design to offer better products and services. So, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know if you will think I'm sounding like a broken record, <laughs> but I think uh, exposing techies uh, to users um, and providing them with the tools uh, and processes and methods uh, to be user and customer focused is so important. Uh, I mean, that the if techies understand uh, that we have, they have to solve for uh, the user needs, wants, and desires, um, then I think all solutions, while tech-enabled, uh, have to be you know capital design, uh, you know designed with a capital D. They have to be designed, um, and I do believe in all of this. Uh, we have to do a great job uh, to adapt as well. Uh, we have to ensure that we are articulating what we need to build um, 
and pitch a story that's so important to galvanize and enroll colleagues in terms of what needs to be built as well. So I think a combination of all of that uh, is extremely important. Uh, provide the tools and methods to be customer and user focused, articulate well, as well as story tell uh, the customer problems so that uh, folks are galvanized uh, to build products that not, they wouldn't build uh, you know, in an ordinary run-of-the-mill way, but they're galvanized to build because it actually solves something. In fact, um, I'll, I'll get back to you on this blended approach in our last question in, in just about a few minutes before I take this one more question, which is automation was not developed to substitute human reasoning and intuition, not to replace it. However, many tasks can often be effectively completed using robotic process automation. My question is, what human and social skills matter even more for designers these days in world of increasing automation? What, Rohit, you're saying all of us are going to be irrelevant? <laughs> uh, so, so I think... I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, it's important for us to understand that... Uh, uh, that ultimately we are again uh, going to be better by being better together. So for as designers, uh, we're all a network. We have to understand that we're all a network of conversations ultimately. Um, and being able to incre increase that network of conversations and especially with disciplines outside of design uh, uh, is extremely important uh, because that uh, just opens up uh, eyes in terms of customer wants as well as uh, what's possible to be built, um, as well as the economics of uh, what needs to be built and can be built as well. Um, I think understanding that is incredibly, uh, incredibly important. I mean, we talked a little bit about um, uh, strategic design thinking as well uh, before, but I think understanding that this network of conversations with disciplines outside of design and formulating those connections uh, is extremely important for us as uh, UX professionals. Uh, it'll just enable us to be uh, continue being relevant, um, as well as make sure that we are building uh, products that actually uh, are uh, not just uh, what we call beautiful. They're actually uh, how would I put it? They're not just desirable. They're actually useful, useful and uh, feasible as well at the same time. So yeah. And that brings me to my last question and also something that you touched upon earlier, which is the blended approach. In fact, at Avantika University, we coined a term called as designering, which is the base ideology or philosophy that we operate on, the blended approach of the world of design and engineering. The question that I have for you is, where do you see design and technology blend in your field and your process? Do you think this is a relevant philosophy? Are we moving towards designering rather than only design and engineering? I mean, absolutely. I think uh, the way I would say is great products are built with this concept in mind. Um, you, we cannot think of, you know, and I, we've, uh, throughout my entire, hopefully, hopefully throughout my entire conversation, the one thing I have hopefully conveyed is that we can only um, see further by standing on the shoulder of giants, which means being better together. Uh, so design and engineering has to work well uh, and it has to work uh, together to actually build products that matter for our users as well as for our businesses. 
Um, I mean, if you look at, we are probably at the center of uh, one of the greatest uh, events in history. Uh, tragic. Uh, the pandemic has been horrendous on so many fronts. Um, but we have seen digital transformation happen at a pace that's been completely unprecedented. If you look at um, areas around medical science as well as education, uh, we have probably seen the pace of change and digital transformation happen in nine months that would have taken nine years, or probably even more. Uh, it's been about solving clear and present user needs via completely technological means. Uh, so I would say that design hearing is so relevant uh, from uh, the present and continued future context. Absolutely. We couldn't have ended this conversation on a better note than this. Thank you so much, uh, Deepak, for joining us on Avantika Design Hearing Podcast series. Uh, we look forward to seeing connected with you and um, I'm sure our listeners will have a lot of valuable insights from this conversation so much for doing this it's been a complete pleasure Rohit thank you so much for having me hey there we hope you enjoyed our show do write to us on ads at the rate avantika.edu.in we look forward to your opinions feedbacks and suggestions of speakers you would like us to host on this show do tune in our channel next week on Wednesday for a new story on Hubhopper or wherever you get your podcast from. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter.